Good morning, good evening, and good day. You're listening to Drama Buds, an anima podcast. So hello everyone, welcome to today's episode of Drama Buds. So sometimes when you're watching a show, do you ever feel like, I'm so glad I watched this now? Like, I'm glad I didn't watch it while it was ongoing. I'm glad I didn't watch it when I had just finished this certain kind of show. I'm glad that the stars aligned. It was available to me at this moment. And this is what I decided to press play on. Because that's kind of what I feel right now about Through the Darkness. Which came out very, very early this year. It came out January. And, I mean, it was airing. It was available to me. But I just, I was not interested. I was still going through my idol the coup withdrawal phase. And... I just wasn't into any of the ongoing K-dramas at that time. And now, months, months, months later, Through the Darkness was available on Netflix. That's when I decided to finally watch it. But I watched it on Vicky instead. And I'm so glad I did. I finished this in a week. But I honestly, I could have just taken four days. If life and other things had not happened, I could have totally binged this because that's how much I loved it. So, Through the Darkness is written by a rookie and co-written by the actual first criminal profiler in Korea who co-wrote the book that this was based on. This director, he directed a lot of things. I did, I don't know any of them. And it stars Kim Nam-gil, who I've seen in Emergency Declaration very recently in cinemas. And I watched maybe two episodes of The Fiery Priest. It also stars Jin Son-kyu, who I've seen in Extreme Job and Space Weepers. And also stars Kim So-jin, who I've also recently seen in Emergency Declaration. Through the Darkness is about the first criminal profiler in South Korea and the formation of the criminal behavioral analysis team. It's a case-by-case show, so it's hard to really describe what everything's about. But I do really like this summary from Vicky. And I quote, Does Song Ha-yong have the ability to gain the trust of callous criminals while seeing through them? Is he clever enough to outwit them? But more importantly, does he possess the emotional fortitude to withstand the process? And quote, I love that summary. That's absolutely perfect for what this show is all about. So moving on to the plot and characters, first we have Song Hayong played by Kim Namgil. He is a detective who's a bit of an outcast. He doesn't care about socializing or sucking up. He's just a very gentle character. It's not because he, you know, thinks he's too good for people. It's not because he has any hard edge around him. It's not because he's so incredibly righteous and passionate. Like he's just just a gentle guy doing his best. I don't know, he's such an unassuming character. More on him later, obviously, because I love him. And when he was a kid, he had a near-death experience and saw his first dead body. Like, wow, as a child, just seeing your first dead body, just like that. When they sent him to a psychiatrist, the psychologist, of course, to, you know, debrief him and figure out if he's okay, they found that he was he's an empath, really, who could feel for animals and dead bodies and anything. But he's someone who has learned to hide that you know, probably to protect himself or because he just, he can feel so much. And many, many years later, he's a detective now. He's recruited by Kuk Yong-soo to form the criminal behavioral analysis team. 
because Yongsu knows that Hayoung can understand how these criminals think but still remain objective and calm when interrogating them. But he has, you know, the tenacity to keep trying, to keep studying these people and understanding them no matter how difficult it could get. And the whole show is just his journey through that, through, you know, establishing the team and establishing their methods and managing the emotional labor of empathizing with some of the most heinous criminals in the country. Next, you have Gook Yong-soo, played by Jin Son Kyu. So he previously worked in forensics and he was begging, you know, the higher-ups that he's kind of close to to let him form the analysis team because he's read about how it worked in the U.S. and he thinks that Korea needs it too. So what exactly does the analysis team do? They interview convicts, they analyze their history, the risk factors in their childhood or in their past that may have led them to committing the crimes that they committed. And then they try to apply that analysis to cases in the moment to help investigators narrow down their search. And aside from his whole agenda with forming the analysis team, Yongsu is a family man, right? He's very warm, he's caring on the inside and out. He's a good balance to Hayoung, who's very... He's empathic, yes. But Hayoung is pretty cold. He's pretty detached from people. Once again, to prevent himself probably from feeling too much all the time. And Yongsu is kind of the personable one in their tandem. So Hayoung is good at dealing with the criminals. And Yongsu is good at dealing with the higher-ups and the authorities and the other people in the police force. Yongsu needs this team to work, this new team to work. He needs to prove that their team is worth keeping by showing that their methods are effective and that they can help catch these criminals. And our last main character is Yoon Tegu, played by Kim Sojin. She's a homicide detective who's in charge of the special cases squad, which you know handles the cases that the analysis team tends to want to be involved in. Look, all I have to say is that she is a female detective in the late 90s to early 2000s. Like, you already know that's a lot to deal with. And she's also a captain or some team leader, some authority figure, essentially. So you can already tell how difficult it must have been for her to get to that position at that time in the world. And then this new team comes in with their untested methods and if things go wrong, she's going to get blamed for it. And it's so easy for people to come after her as a woman. However, what I love about the writing of Tegu is that it's an aspect of her character. They address the fact that she is a woman in the police force at that time. It's tough. But it doesn't define her entire journey. All of the people in the team respect her without even needing to mention that she's a woman. And her journey is connected to how the analysis team finds their place in the force and learns to cooperate with detectives like them who still doubt their methods. So, if you know anything about me as a viewer, you know that I'm kind of not a fan of thrillers. Like, off the top of my head, the ones that I most compare this to are Stranger Signal Beyond Evil. Which, I mean, it's pretty unfair to compare this to three shows that won Best Drama or The Desang, for Stranger's case. Yeah, those are the thrillers that I most associate with this specific genre. And the thing is, I can acknowledge that they are good, but I just... They're very plot-driven, so I tend not to develop an attachment to the characters. I mostly developed an attachment to Stranger's characters because we got two seasons to be with them. For the others, it's like, okay, I watched it, I see how it's good, I'm just... When it's done, it's done. Because the plot's done, the story's done. The characters, they just existed in the moment for the plot, but 
uh, the attachment that I wanted to develop or I usually develop, it's not there. Here's the thing. Here are my problems with these kind of plot-driven, plot-heavy shows. Most of the time, they try to keep you confused but curious, which is a very delicate balance, right? It's very difficult to manage that. And usually, it's for one big mystery. So there are times when the story lulls or when I just I lose track of details. I'm more confused than I am curious. Or, or... They try to be very twisty and turny, right? So many things happening in the plot. You don't know who to trust. And there's always some aspect of corruption or betrayal in the team. So yeah, trust no one. I don't know. It's just, uh, once again, confusion. It's just confusion. Or, 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 they try to keep you hooked by being as violent, as graphic, as gory as they can. I don't know. I'm sure there's a psychological study on that, on why we watch things that we you know, have our eyes half closed. But yeah, they just try to grip you with those things. And you wonder, how far will they go in the show? How, how much more graphic and violent can it become? Through the Darkness has none of these issues. Absolutely none of them. First of all, it's a case-by-case drama. So there is a decent gap between mystery and confusion and then getting reveals or having payoff for that. Also, it is not a whodunit, right? For the viewers at least. It's more of a cat and mouse chase because we as the viewers know who they're searching for, but they don't know who they're searching for. And we get to see these criminals getting away with more and more murders. And you think it's so frustrating you'd think, oh my god, why can't the police catch these people? But you have to ask yourself, okay, if you were in the position of the police, how will you find them? How will you find these people that strike whenever they want, out of nowhere? All you can do is try to understand their patterns and prevent it before it happens, or at least establish measures to be able to apprehend them somehow. But it's difficult because literally the entire population of the city could be your suspect. And in terms of how the police force works in the show. There are internal issues in the team, sure, but that's because this is a relatively new method and they're not really a solid team with a solid standard procedure yet. But here's what I like about the whole team here. No one is purposely trying to mess things up because they're secretly corrupt or they're evil or they want to drag each other down, at least for the most part. The police here, they are working as efficiently as they can. They are actively investigating it. But they can really only catch the killer when the killer slips up. Especially with the serial killer. It's not like they leave behind typical, you know, markers. Like they draw some insignia on the wall with their victim's blood saying, Ha ha ha, catch me if you can. It's not like that. At most, they have the same M.O. And that's the only thing that the police can use to declare that, Oh, this is a serial killer because they're using the same method. But they also establish repeatedly that, oh my god, the killers can't change their methods. Ah! This show is not sensationalized at all. And I guess that's why it seems more boring to others. But that's why I love it more because I I don't really enjoy violence. Who enjoys violence? Not me. Of course, it's necessary to show a little bit of it. But it's definitely not as gory as I expected given that the show is about serial killers. So I'm glad that it was not as sensationalized as I expected. I think there were less than 10 or even 5 chase scenes or fight scenes because the real fight was in the interrogation room 
And this show is so cerebral. Like, when it's an interrogation scene, I am just glued to the TV, reading each and every line, wondering how they're going to outsmart each other, how Hayoung is going to make this criminal slip up and accidentally reveal that they did this or they know about that. It's so cerebral, but you can still keep up with analysis team's deductions. And by the way, the deductions are you know, typical patterns of behavior from the criminals they've interviewed, uh, possible criminal records, or maybe gateway crimes, quote-unquote, that tend to lead to this behavior. Like, usually murderers, psychopaths have a history of animal abuse, or they tend to commit arson for some reason. Sometimes I wondered, like, how'd you come up with such an accurate profile of this criminal? Because we as the viewers have seen the criminal. We've seen exactly what they look like, exactly what they do, exactly how they act. And then suddenly, Hayong comes up with this profile of this criminal. And it's almost an exact description of what we've seen. But they do show how much Hayong thinks about these criminals and tries to get into their head to be able to figure out why they're doing this, how they're choosing their victims. And I don't know, maybe psychology is a science. Maybe they have a statistical analyst in the team to help them collect all this data and find correlations and stuff. I don't know. Maybe I should have listened to my quantitative methods class more when I was taking it. But yeah, like it, it makes sense. If you believe that psychology is a science, <laughs> which I am required to say yes, yes it is. Now, the core of this entire show is really Song Hayong. He is such an unassuming character, right? He doesn't have a detective superpower. He doesn't have any fantasy aspect that helps him find these killers. And I'm not knocking on the shows I previously mentioned before, okay? I'm just saying he's just a regular guy. At most, he's an empath, which I don't fully know if I believe that empaths are real. I'll read up on that. I'm, I can be proven wrong. But yeah, he's an empath. And that's why he's the best choice for this job, even if it could potentially become his downfall, like how empathic he is. So when they were dealing with smaller cases, the first two, three episodes of the show, they really emphasized how much he cared for the victims and the families left behind. And then as they tackled the serial murder cases, there were, there were just too many victims, there were too many people left behind. They weren't even completely sure if each case they were considering was by the same killer. And Song Hayong, coming from this just very gentle, kind person, started experiencing the typical, you know, descent to madness arc. That's what I call that. Where he was just getting too deep into the culprit's head. He was trying to imitate some of their behaviors in an attempt to understand them better. He was walking around holding a knife in the dark. And you could really see him consider like, do I have to kill someone? Do I have to stab someone to understand why this killer is doing what they're doing? Where they'll be next? What they'll do next? You may think it's cliche, right? Like, it's so cliche. Like, of course, he gets into the heads of the people and then he becomes, he starts absorbing all that darkness. Yeah, I know, I know. But for me, it was so painful to watch him go through that because this isn't you, Hayom. I know who you are. This isn't you. It was painful to watch because he was so focused on the culprits now. 
And I think it's also because there was so much pressure from, you know, the people around him, from the media, from, of course, the families of the victims to solve this case and find this killer. That's why he became so desperate that he was really just putting himself too much in the shoes of these killers. But ultimately, I found that to be a very natural progression because one, he is very empathic. And two, at the core of it, he is doing this because he's so desperate to find this killer for the victims, for the people that were left behind. And then when they finally found these serial killers, and of course he had to interrogate them, his discomfort, his disgust, his rage, they were also palpable, but he had to hold himself back because it would be counterproductive and it might make the killers shut down and just clam up, not speak anymore. And imagine building rapport. Imagine trying to get someone's trust, establishing open connection and freedom to speak your mind with a serial killer, really, who kills because they enjoy it. And then you have to listen to every gruesome detail of how proud they are of what they did, how remorseless they are for the people that they've killed and for the people that were left behind. You have to make a serial killer feel like they're being listened to, like you won't judge them for what they have to say just so that they can open up, just so that somehow they can reveal more and more of their crimes. You can convict them of more things. And just having to soak all of that up like a sponge and resist the urge to just explode at this person. It is such a huge emotional burden. I mean, episode 10, the interrogation scenes in episode 10 was physically painful for me to watch. Like I had to watch that episode in chunks because at times I really had to pause and step away because it was just too heavy for even me, me to bear. And honestly, Kim Nam Gil deserves an acting award somewhere, somehow, just for episode 10 alone. Honestly, I hate to say that people were robbed because that means I'm saying that the people who won the award didn't deserve it as much, but they do. But I am going to say that Kim Nam Gil did an absolutely fantastic job with a role that is honestly similar to roles that have won the Best Actor Award before. He did just as well. I'm just saying, Kim Nam Gil did a really, really fantastic job as Song Hayong. And he deserves to be recognized somewhere for that, definitely. So I want to talk about the last two episodes after the incredibly difficult to watch episode 10. Like episodes 11 and 12 really, I don't know, solidified this show's place in my heart somehow. Because after nearly, you know, losing himself to the darkness, Hayong is forced to take a step back. After episode 10's case, he's forced to take a step back and he says that he doesn't want to do this anymore because of the extreme emotional labor. And everyone understands. Yongsu understands why Hayong needs a break or even wants to quit. But at the end of it, still, the show reiterates that Hayong started this or joined this for the victims, for their families. And getting into these criminals' minds, it's not pointless work. It's difficult, right? It's a difficult burden to bear. But he can continue to do it with renewed purpose and better boundaries. This is why we need good work-life balance, Song Hayong. And this time, in the last case that team will handle, he's not alone in carrying that labor. Yong Su, for the past months that he was taking a break, he was covering for his work. He was doing all of that by himself. 
And he had Ruju, their statistical analyst, who's been working with him from the very beginning to help him do their regular work when they're not working on a case. Yun Tegu and her subordinate, who they've also worked with in the past, they know how the analysis team's methods work now. They know what they do. So they're able to still do the legwork that they usually do and also contribute to the deduction work that's needed to form this criminal's profile. And when they finally apprehend the killer and start interrogating him to get him to confess, So Ayong is still there. He still participates. He still gives advice. He still talks to the killer. But he's not the one who primarily built rapport with the killer. And so he's not the one who has to listen to the bulk of the killer's way of thinking. He's able to share all the burdens of the work with the team while still having a key role in it. Essentially, essentially, Song Hayoung is not alone anymore. He doesn't have to do this all by himself. It was such an organic way to build a squad. And it was such a fitting ending for someone who, you know, started out as kind of an outcast, kind of a loner. He was going in blind to this kind of work that no one in the country has done before. But he, of course, did well. He did his very best. He did so much. He worked too hard, lost his way almost got lost in that darkness, but eventually he found his purpose and he found his people. And the last two episodes, you think, oh, how is the show going to end if they're just doing case by case, they didn't have any huge arc to deal with. But the thing is, there was no big bad to take down. There was no conspiracy to unearth. There was no big plot that everything was leading up to. It was really just the journey of the characters and the journey of the analysis team in, in their formation and their establishment in the police force. It was a very quiet ending that was consistent with the pace of the entire show. And I think it was a perfectly fitting ending for what the show was. And honestly, I felt myself not wanting to watch the last two episodes. I felt myself really thinking like, what if I just delay this for a few more days because I don't want this to end. And at that point, they weren't even a chummy chummy squad yet, you know, where they're all best friends and they'd all die for each other. Like They're all just still working together. But I guess it's because everything was rooted in Hayoung's personal journey. And that's why it felt so satisfying and so heartwarming to see him working with other people, enjoying their company, still doing good work, good meaningful work. But knowing that he came from such a dark place recently and as soon as he came back, there were people who were ready to welcome him. There were people who wanted him back, not just because they needed him, right? Not because, oh, this team can't function without you, but because genuinely we are doing good work together, no matter how difficult it is. It was really heartwarming for me personally. For a show that's about serial killers. And I have to really applaud them for that. So yeah, that's it for me today. What else can I say about the show? Uh, I know I only mentioned Kim Namgil, but really everyone in the cast did so well. And there, I had this sinking feeling where I was like, oh my god, I think something bad will happen to Gook Yong-soo. And if anything 
bad happens to this man, I will lose my mind. But thank God, nothing bad happened to him. What else? The cinematography wasn't anything special to me personally, but the score is fantastic. One of my favorite scores, musical scores this entire year. Possibly might win it. There's just something about guitar, guitar music, about electric guitars, acoustic guitars. It's so gritty. It's really great. There's this one score that I wasn't able to insert here, but I'll play it now because it's so gritty and so fitting for the atmosphere. Regarding the big song last year, I won't say anything about the only nomination they got, Best Actor, which was much deserved. Uh, I will say, why was this not nominated for Best Screenplay? Even Best Drama? I don't know. I just thought it was really fantastic. For me, a full package and honestly, the best thriller of this kind that I've ever watched. And as far as I know, it's on Netflix, it's on View, it's on Viki, Prime Video, Apple TV. You have no excuse. You better watch the show. This is, to me, a must-watch for the genre. And currently, it is my second favorite drama this year. Yo, do you understand the implication of that? That's really crazy. I was about to give it 10 stars on my drama list. But then I, I reserved 10 stars for shows where I feel like there was a version of me before I watched the show and a version of me after I watched the show. And it's not there. It's not there. It's a solid 9.5. And I really stand by that. This to me is everything I could have ever wanted from a thriller of this specific genre this specific theme this specific setup and yeah that's it for me today thank you so much for listening and i will see you soon thanks for tuning in feel free to leave a comment like subscribe follow and tell me what you thought about today's episode see you soon